Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. All right, so let's move on to some author stuff. And we have an interesting topic today, owning it, which we'll get to in just a moment. Before we do, let me ask, you've written several books and you're talking about doing a remix. And we just talked a little bit about things you've learned from an editor. So what are some things you're doing different with your writing now than when you first started? What I like to do is change up the writing experience for me so that I don't get bored because I think the problem with any creative is being able to sit down when the creativity doesn't seem to flow as easily as it does on some days. So my way of battling that that inevitable inevitable boredom is to create a different experience. For example, the first book was written third person omniscient. The second book was written first person present. The third book, Allow Me to Ruin Your Christmas, was written first person present, but from two different characters' perspectives, so alternating chapters. We got Beckett, the college kid, writing first person, telling the story first person. Then we got Lex telling the story first person, alternating chapters. So it's just something to keep me engaged. And I feel like if I'm engaged in the story and I'm excited to write, even when I'm not feeling my best at 4.30 in the morning or wherever, whatever time, that I can, I'm still... I've got something that can keep me somewhat engaged as opposed to just trying to vomit the words out. Got it. Okay. And uh, what software and services do you like to use? I write with a Mac. So it's pages. I keep the spell check and everything on. But when I'm done drafting, well, and let me back up my second and third book. And from here on out, I write longhand. I wrote the first book on, wow. on my machine. But when I found out that Chuck Palahniuk writes longhand, I just start, I'm like, my favorite author is writing longhand. I better start writing longhand. And let me tell you, it does something to you. It really draws you in. And I'm sure there are a lot of authors out there who write on a keyboard and they feel the same way. I just feel like there is something about going from brain to arm to hand to fingers to moving the pen on the paper. There is just there's something that you just can't get from typing on a keyboard. And I don't, I've, I don't, I've never written a nonfiction kind of narrative article or anything longhand. So I don't know if it's the same, but for fiction, longhand it is. So all of that to say from longhand to transcribing to, to my Mac with the pages program and then from pages, I I use this program called AutoCrit. So auto like automatic and then crit like critic critic. So autocrit.com. And it's a great service. You can I think there's a free there's a free version, but I have the paid version. 
so that I can get all of the feedback and it breaks everything down for you in pie charts and then it shows you little bar graphs of um, your sentences. So here, Stephen's got a whole bunch of short sentence, uh, a whole bunch of short paragraphs and then a really long paragraph or too many short paragraphs, too many long paragraphs. Here in chapter seven, Stephen has too many of these kinds of words. And so, yeah, it breaks everything down by by word count, showing versus telling, strong language. It's, it is, and then, oh, and then you can compare your writing to, so let's say, Stephen, let's say you write women's fiction. You can compare yourself to someone who writes women's fiction. You can compare nice. yourself to someone who writes, you can compare yourself to individual authors, Lee Child, Stephen King. Yeah. So it's a great piece of software. They're not paying me to say this. I'm a part of their Facebook group. I pay to use the service. So as a client, I can tell you that this is one of those few things that I will just, I will brag all day long about, uh, about this particular service. There are very few things that I will brag about and talk incessantly about. This is one of them. Nice. You're not just a client. You're the president. Yeah. Whole- <laughs> yeah. Cy Sperling from the hair club for men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Only guys our age remember that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All the kids just went, huh? How are you marketing this besides doing podcasts? Yeah. Your, your book, uh, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing the podcasts, but I'm also advertising. Right now I'm doing kind of a, I'm in the A part of an A-B testing to see if BookBub is going to do better than Instagram, I have a feeling BookBub is going to work better, but I don't want to, I'm just, I'm going to wait for the results. I'm also, because the book is set in Houston, I am in the process. Actually, the ad is out now. There is a company called Running Boards. And so it's digital mobile billboards on a truck. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I've got a, Two two month program of advertising where it's a graphic of the book pointing to the URL ruinmychristmas.com. And yeah, so we'll see if that gets any traction. I figure Instagram and uh, Facebook, I don't know if it's, and I will seed that I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of advertising on social media. So maybe it's something I'm doing wrong or that I have done wrong, but it just hasn't worked. So I figure, why not? The book is here in Houston. We got this company here in Houston. It's it's worth a, it's worth a shot. And I'm not dropping thousands of dollars on advertising because I've, I'm, as an indie, I don't have, and I'm also trying to make money and not blow right. away a whole bunch of money. Right. So it was, it made the most sense from a perspective of trying to go big and bold and different as opposed to simply social media. Yeah, I agree. We've got a small local theater and there we don't have many movie theaters really close. So it was nice when this one opened and all the ads before the com- movie are local. They're nothing that's national or whatever. They're all small local companies. And I asked one of the guys, cause I went to his shop. I said, Hey, I saw this. So tell me about it. And it's like $450 for three months. And it's every movie, every showing in that theater for three months. I'm like, wow, that's it's a small town. I understand that. When, But even if there's 20, 30 people in that theater doing that for three months, that's a lot of local people to get to. And that's 
big when it's local compared everywhere. Exactly. And I think you have to find, you have to be willing to diversify what you're doing because sometimes at the end of the day, you don't want to be beholden to the social media overlords and the algorithms. And there are authors who are bigger than the two of us who have (laughs) the backing, who have the tens of thousands of dollars to spend on social media. And then we get buried. We get buried, not just on on the big ones, but we also get buried on Amazon and on BookBub and on whatever. So it's, it, I think it's for indies. I think it behooves us. I love that word. It behooves us to explore other more viable options. If you've got Absolutely. a movie theater and that's a captive audience too. That's exactly. a great idea, man. Yeah. I was like, man, 450 bucks. Funny thing is also our local fair, you can set up a booth, a table in the merchant building. And I was with somebody else that works for a mattress place and we went to check it out and they were like, oh yeah, for a small 10 foot, it would be like 785. And I'm like, oh, is that per day? They're like, no, that's for the week. For a week with our county fair, that gets 45,000, 50,000 people through there in a week. That's I'm like, that's pennies per person. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cheap even for me to think about to do. Yeah, you got you really I think and this goes back to being an Indian and owning the entire process because you can write the book and that's just the beginning. That yeah. is just the beginning. There is no you will build it and they will come. You've got to <laughs> let people know that right. you are out there that your book is ready and this is the best book that they're going to ever read in their entire life. And so you put your blood, sweat, and tears. Some people take five years to write their first manuscript and finally get it out to market, whether it's indie or traditionally published. And so it is incumbent upon the creator of the story to let people know that it is there. And there's nothing wrong with advertising. I think, and I come from the terrestrial radio world where I worked for more than 25 years. And so commercials, it was like, well, yeah, we run 30, 30 ads per hour but how else are we supposed to get paid? And how else are these brands supposed to get their their products right. and services noticed? You have to advertise. So as a creator, there's nothing wrong with putting yourself out there, whether it's going to a fair or putting an ad on a movie theater. There are ways to go about it without doing it the slimy kind of snake oil yeah. salesman way. And if you really wrote a good book, you put your time and effort into it and improve the product, you have something good. Like for me, it's middle grade kids. I'm doing them a disservice if I don't get my book to them. I think it's a great book. I think they'd enjoy it. I hope it sparks their imagination. But if they don't know about it to read it, then I have failed. And it's a different mindset. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, owning it, which is owning the outcome, good or bad, as our topic for today. What made you want to discuss that topic and choose that as a topic for our discussion? I'm doing this for selfish reasons because I am, this is my first year going out on my own. As I said, I worked in terrestrial radio for more than 25 years. And as an author, it's all about owning the outcome, good, bad, or indifferent. And as a storyteller, as a media company owner, as a podcaster, as a blogger, as a dad, as a husband, we have to own what we do. And we're not going to get it right all the time. And we have, we just have to own it. Don't dwell on, don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on what somebody else could have done to help at the end of the day. It all comes down to you, or in my case, it all comes down to me. 
And so by doing that, I have empowered myself to try and do the best that I can given the circumstances and let the dice fall where they may. This particular book might not sell 50 copies. And guess what? There was probably something I could have done to make it better. Yes, I'm advertising. Yes, I'm making the podcast rounds. Yes, I've I've done what I can in trying to communicate with my social media following. But at the end of the day, if I only sell 27 books, that's on me. That's not on the reader. That's on me for not taking the extra step or 10 steps or 100 steps. And so I think there there's a lot of there's a lot of power in that in knowing that it's not it's not some outside force some greedy yes. billionaire holding his thumb down on my success. It's me. Right. It begins and it ends with me. Agreed. And like I agree with what you said. The when you think about it, owning the outcome could be several different things. Yeah. In this case, it's hey, I wrote this book. I spent the time and effort. It's up to me to make it work, not just put it out and say, oh, writing books doesn't work or oh, I'm a terrible author. Because there's a lot of bad books out there that have sold a lot just because they marketed it. They got out there. And there's people that sell things all the time that aren't worth buying just because they they can talk and they have charisma. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it is this is something you did. There's a lot of authors that get afraid to talk to people about it. You know, it's not that good. But no, you wrote this book. It's the best you could do at this moment, given every circumstance around so yeah, own it. I be proud of it. I wrote this book. There, there's several aspects of the whole topic. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that it, 2022, my friend, has been such a transformational year, and it has taken me on a roller coaster of emotions trying to figure out what my place in this world is. And I will say, and I'm, I, I started to delve off. I will say though. Here we go. Okay, so I don't know if you want to pick up a post or we're just going to leave it like that. I will say that, and now I forgot what I was going to say again. It's what happens when Transformational you, year. Yeah, transformational. It's a transformational year. And so what? I, where I think I went wrong in my previous career was not treating my gifts, was not persuading people to see my gifts that I have in such a way that I am the gift. So you have to have a certain degree of hubris. And I hate saying that because it has a very bad connotation, but you do have to exert that alpha male or alpha female or alpha whatever energy. If you're going to, if you're going to succeed, you have to, you have to put that energy out into the world. Because just like you said, you can have somebody that you're talking to on a podcast, and if they don't believe in the product, what makes me think that Susie Ann Smith, who wrote this cozy mystery, who doesn't believe in her book, and I'm listening to her talking to Steve, what makes me want to go and buy that? Right. I'm not going to want right. to buy that. Oh, it's just a little book. No, I wrote a cozy mystery, and guess what? It rivals anything that's on the New York Times bestseller list. And here's why. Absolutely. And you, it's a fine line to walk because hubris leads to very bad things. 
but you've got to have just a little, just like when you're cooking with salt and pepper and garlic, a little, little dash of it. And it makes the meal just, mm, it has that certain kind of, so you have a little bit of hubris. You sell your gifts, but with the mentality that you are the gift. And so that's where I went wrong in my previous career was not convincing people in a way that, hey, look, yo, I am, I am the gift. And there are people, just like you said, who are far more inferior to what you do, what I do, and what you have done, and what I've done. And yet they know, because they've got the silver tongue, that, and they schmooze the right people, and they've got the agents, and they've got the backing, that they're far more successful than us. But bullcrap, we flip the narrative, and we take control, and it all goes back to owning it. Because no one's going to care about what you do more than you. And I think the, Absolutely. the yeah. And I think that the I think that the sooner a creator of any sort, it could be an author, it could be a blogger, it could be a vlogger, it could be a poet, it could be a musician or whatever. It could be an a white collar office worker for God's sakes. The sooner they realize that nobody cares about their work as much as they do, things get different. And it's not pride and ego. That's the difference. You can be proud of something without being prideful with that thing. You can be proud of the product. And like I said, if I wrote this book, because I want middle graders to spark their imagination and think about my, a lot of what I write uh, is the general theme is there's magic in the world all around us. You just have to find it and discover it. And that I didn't intend that to happen. It just seems to be that's how I think in my life. And I think kids need to use their imaginations more and just do things because it's fun. And that's what my books and stories tend to be. So I have to own that. And if I want parents and teachers and the kids to read my books, I've got to get it to them. I've got to show it to them. I've got to do something. And if not, then, you know, I'm doing them a disservice. It's a mindset shift to owning it. And again, it's not an ego thing because you can tell that's, like you said, schmarmy <laughs> salesman. Yeah. That's the ego in coming out. Yeah. And kids, man, kids are so much more smarter than we give them credit for. They will yeah. pick up. If Steven's not completely sure that his new book is going to hit, they will pick up on that energy and they'll be like, yeah, forget this. I'll just read right, Harry Potter absolutely. again. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's actually what spurred my book. There's a Harry Potter fest over at Kent. And I didn't have a wizard magic type book. So I wrote a short story to set on my author table. And then I realized, oh, this could be better. And that idea of a short story has turned into what's going to be possibly seven books now. Oh, (laughs) that's yeah. How that all started. (laughs) That's great, man. Yeah, I'm working. I'm I've got book two written. I'm finishing things up. I got idea for three and four with vague plans for beyond that. But that's the goal. I want kids to understand that they can be imaginative throughout their life. They can write by starting now. And by the time they're 18, 20, they'll be much further ahead. I see so many authors uh, that are 40 getting started and they have, they, I can't write, I can never do this. Whereas if they started when they were 15, by the time they're 40, they'd have masterpieces. Yeah. That's my philosophy. No, absolutely. And with you targeting the middle school demographic, 
This, it seems like maybe that's about the age where the luster of imagination starts to to wear off. And so by you telling these kids and sharing these stories with them, it's helping them realize that, hey, you know what? There is wonder out in the world. And you know what? School might be boring or life might be boring or things might not go wrong, but the world is is right. huge. It's, a, it's an incredible place to be. And yeah. And you said, okay, so something you said about your book that you like to challenge yourself and do something a little different. And this one's second person perspective. So owning it, another, this is another thing. You chose to do it this way. You could have written it in third person, first person. You could have done a happy romantic Christmas instead of a going bad <laughs> type of, you chose these things. These, this is the story that you wanted to get out. Like you said, it could flop totally. You could do everything, all the podcasts, all the marketing, pay for all the ads, and it could still flop totally. That's part of owning it too. That doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean your book sucks. It might be the wrong audience, the wrong time. Maybe you just need to tweak and improve one thing. That's what the next book's for. Improve next time, get better, learn from the things you made mistakes on. I see a lot of authors that they still have that thought, hey, I wrote this book over the last weekend. I put it out. Nobody bought it by day one. So I'm a failure. No, you got to, again, going back to the owning it, there's more to it than just putting words down and throwing it out there. Absolutely. And just to give you an idea, Edgar Allan Poe, in his entire lifetime, didn't make but around $200 off of his writing. And if he only knew his legacy, he's got, he's required reading in schools. He's got entire literary societies named after him, awards named after him. So just because you don't sell 100,000 copies of your ebook over the course of a month does not mean that it's not going to make an impact in some way, shape, or form. Because somewhere over the past hundred and something years, there was somebody who read one of his books that might not have been The Raven who read one of his books or poems or whatever, or maybe it was The Raven, who the hell knows? But there was somebody somewhere down the road back then who saw something and was like, ha, this is incredible. I got to show, I got to show Steven. And then Steven's, whoa, this is incredible. You know what? I have a friend who's the dean of a college. I'm going to show her. And the dean of the college is, wait a minute, I've got friends. I've got to show this to my book club. And the book club, it's just, a, it, you never know. Humans are so complicated and fun and interesting, and you just never know what can happen if your book gets into just one reader's hands. Exactly. And you got to get, you got to find those readers. So you got to keep trying. I, what you just said made me think some of the initial reviews when Star Wars came out in 77, the critics they didn't like it. They panned it. They thought it was stupid. And all <laughs> well, yeah, I guess they were wrong on that one. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and think of it this way. There's 7 billion people on this planet. Yeah. If you had 100,000 fans uh, and they all bought your book every year, now you're making enough money to live on by writing one book a year to just those. And 100,000 people is nothing compared to the whole planet. So it's getting out there and finding those people. And that's you know what you got to do after you write the book. And yeah. again, again, another part of owning it, 
is taking the time to write and learn your craft and write a good book and improve each time you write a book. That's part of owning it too, not just throwing something together and thinking, hey, three-year-olds, five-year-olds that tell you a story, wow, that was great. I love that story that you just made up that made no sense whatsoever. Every parent does it. They're like, "Uh uh-huh. I loved it. Great. I have no idea what they just said, but we're going to tell them that. When you're an adult, you got to suck it up a little bit and actually make a good story. You can't just throw anything out and expect everyone to praise you. Exactly. Exactly. And that doesn't mean you have to go to school or take a college class or whatever. Just read a couple of craft books, Stephen King and Chuck Palahniuk. And oh, now I'm spacing on the Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut's book, Eddie the Reader, is incredible. And it's a dense book. It's huge. It's huge. And it's chock full of so much wisdom from him that it's almost like if you were to just spend a week reading that book, you would get so much more knowledge and be, a, be you'd be so much, you would be an improved writer in more ways than one. The other one I've come across is uh, by Jeff Strand. Uh, he independent, he writes comedy horror He's written 50 books, and his 50th one was basically a memoir writer uh, book, encouragement, inspiration thing, but a sarcastic viewpoint. And I interviewed him and talked to him. I love his books. And I didn't realize that it was just the last like five books that he had quit his job and was writing full time. So he kept going until he got to that point. So he's got a lot of good things to say. So yeah, those other three books you mentioned, I've read them all. I've read his. So Good books for authors keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And read craft books from outside of your genre too. Like I've yes. got one. Jennifer Probst is a fantastic romance. I've only read a little handful of her work, but I have read her her writing craft book. Oh, and I forget. Write Naked uh, is the book. I know, catchy title. But for because listen, uh, humans, we are relationships that we have. Many are romantic. And so you have to be able to whether you're writing horror or mystery or or even middle grade there, there are there, there is love. There are components of love in every story that we write or in most stories, I assume. But yeah, there there are things that you can take away from um, from any kind of craft book in what she recommends. It's interesting. What she recommends is that if you are a writer of what do they call it the erotica, the raunchy stuff, if you're yeah. if, if you write the raunchy stuff, read sweet read sweet romance, and if you r- write sweet romance, read erotica. So basically, it's le- that yin yang aspect where you're learning from something completely out of your right. wheelhouse. Yeah, it's great. It's great advice. I, I, I did something similar. I read a Reacher book by Lee Child. Mm. And I'm not a big thriller action reader, and I, but I'd heard him on an interview, actually his brother, because he's taken over. And so I picked up a book. You can find them at every yard sale for 50 cents. They're all over the place. And I read it and I was just blown away. The writing is so precise and the sentences are short and say what they need to say without flowery anything. And the story moves without putting in tokenist. 50 pages of descriptions. And so it's a totally different style. So it was like, no matter what style I wrote, somebody out there will enjoy it for the genre and style I have. That's what everybody needs to remember. And that's how you find your voice too, because yes. no one author is going to take away the same the same advice from 
any one or two or three or four authors who write craft books. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right, well, Freddie, I know you need to get going and I've got stuff to do today. It's been a wonderful talk. I've enjoyed myself immensely. Thank you. Uh, so before we sign off, do you have any last minute advice you would give to new authors? To new authors, just write the damn book. Right. There you go. Even when you don't feel like it, get in the chair and write the damn book. Write it. Write. Make and time. Make time. I would add to that the craft books don't make nearly as much sense unless you've written some stuff beforehand. If you've never written and you're trying to pull it all in just by reading a craft book, you won't absorb anything. It won't make sense. But if you've written some stuff, no matter how poorly, reading those books makes a lot more sense and you improve a lot more that way. So that's, that's my new advice I've been telling people. And that's why you should just write the book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you can agree. get to the craft books. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, really appreciate it. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.